by Terrell Road Bible Chapel. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening on our social and media platforms. We know that it might be difficult to get together right now, but we're going to do our very best to stay connected. So grab a cup of coffee, maybe a comfy chair, and open your Bible, and let's dive into today's message. As a homeowner, there are many things that need to be done around the house in order to maintain it. The garbage needs to be taken out, the beds need to be made, the bathrooms need to be cleaned, and you need to vacuum up dust and dirt. And I was vacuuming the other day, as I do sometimes in our house, and we use the vacuum every single day. Because every single day, there's a new mess. Because we have children. Now, whether it's because there's eggs on the floor or dust bunnies underneath the piano, the suction cleaner gets used often. And as I'm using it, I'm trying to think of something. Something I knew I needed to do later. But I couldn't remember it because the vacuum was so loud. In fact, it was so loud, I couldn't hear anything else going on in the house. Which got me thinking about something else. I've been alive for 31 years, and I have never once experienced a quiet vacuum. Not once. It's such a nuisance because apparently to keep something clean, you need to have the machine screaming in your ear for the duration of the process. So I started thinking of other nuisances in my life. Constantly having to charge my phone is a nuisance. It should just work all the time. The woman who tells you how to leave a voicemail, taking 20.47 seconds of your life, and yes, I timed it. We all know how to leave a voicemail. It's a nuisance. Children's diapers are nuisances, although that one I get. The TSA line at the airport, the DMV, all of these things, they're all nuisances. And the thing about all these nuisances mentioned is that while they are inconvenient, while they are annoying, they're all necessary. A dead phone isn't helpful to anyone, nor is a dirty house. So while there's a process that involves annoyance, there's a bigger picture at work with these things that we find inconvenient. Even though these things bother us, they are all necessary to accomplishing something more important, something bigger something better. And as we're continuing in our Body Life series, we've come to one of the most inconvenient verses in the whole Bible. A verse that is challenging to us in every way, physically, emotionally, even spiritually, and yet, I think there's a blessing in the inconvenience. There's a call to a deeper level of spiritual awareness and depth. And isn't that our aim as Christians to go deeper in our walk, to draw closer to our Savior, not just in our knowledge, but in our relationship? So before we lean into this nuisance, let's pray. Father, we want to function at full capacity in our physical bodies as well as the spiritual body of the church. As we look at something that may be a bit of an inconvenience, open our minds to a new way of understanding and functioning so that the bride of Christ will look more like Christ. In his name we pray, amen. As a child, one of the things I couldn't wait to do was to become a teenager. I needed to be 13. Then I turned 13 and I couldn't wait to be 18. 
As an 18-year-old, 21 was the goal. And I started thinking that there's a discontent that we have growing up, constantly desiring to arrive at the next plateau, constantly trying to be older. So I thought to myself, self, why did I constantly want to get to the next level? What was I seeking with each new age? And what I was after was independence. I couldn't wait to be 13 because then I could stay up longer. I could walk home from school. I could watch new movies. I could have independence. As an 18-year-old, I could drive. I could get my license. I could take new job opportunities. I could go where I wanted. I could have independence. At 21, I could drink and I could have independence. You see, it's a theme in our lives in almost every area. In our cultural identity, we want independence. We want to be identified as self-sufficient. In our social identity, we want to stand out and be deemed special. We want independence. In our creative identity, it's produced songs like, It's my life, I'll do what I want. In our political and national identity, it's written into our constitution, and we even have a declaration of independence. You see, as human beings, we have a deep desire for independence. And it's not simply independence, because independence in and of itself is a good thing. We want people to be self-sufficient, taking care of themselves and being provisional, but it's deeper than that. The desire for independence is also a desire for control. Sure, growing up, I wanted independence to make my own decisions, my own choices, new locations, but if you unearth that root of the desire, it's a desire for control. I want to do what I want to do. And that desire is so human, so natural, and so opposite of how healthy relationships work. It's so opposite of how a holistic society works, and it's so opposite of what a relationship with God looks like. Even that desire for independence and control is what brought sin into the world in the first place. Adam and Eve's desire in the garden was a desire to do what they wanted, to have independence, to have control. We desire control in almost every area of our lives, from our phones to our schedules, our thermostats. We want control. And the mentality works its way into our faith and to living it out. We want to control who we interact with, who we listen and submit to, and who we will engage further with. And perhaps you think, well, yeah, there's there's people that we don't want to associate with, people who believe bad theology, people who would not be beneficial to my spiritual walk, and so I need to control who I subject myself to and who I'm around. And I see the point being made. But while the call within Scripture is to be sober-minded and level-headed with the company that we keep, it is not a call to isolation. The Christian walk is not a vacuum. It's not a bubble where we accept Jesus' work on our behalf and then hope to live unaffected by everyone and everything that we deem harmful or inconvenient. In fact, Jesus is pretty clear that the Christian walk is not about control. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life, whoever would control his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
And I think one of the main reasons we attempt to live an isolated life, free of nuisances, free of pain, a life where we find control, is because of one thing. Fear. I think we're so fearful of actually engaging in any sort of intimate fashion. Because here's the reality. When we open up our hearts to inconvenience, to the lives of other people, to the mess of being human, we run the risk of being hurt. Not just in not receiving what we think we'll get, but in getting abused, in getting neglected. You see, we're vulnerable when we're engaged. But it's the only way in which you can actually do good. Nobody is ever blessed by a life that is lived in isolation. And I think that that's the essence of the Christian life. The essence of the gospel is a restoration of relationships. Heaven is restored with earth. Man is restored with God. Man is restored with man. You see, it confounds isolation. The gospel literally brings humanity and God into whole relationships. But the process of that restoration is inconvenient. And it's messy. And so what is that process? What does it look like for us to not live in isolation, but among each other, with each other, in a vulnerable way? Open up in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For so much of my Christian life, I would look at a verse like that and go, okay, maybe you just did that. You read a verse like that and you say, short verse, 11 words in it, easy to do, I got it. But recently, it has become clear to me that if I miss this, if I simplify this verse to a mere intellectual Bible tidbit, I miss the greater call of this verse. So let's break it down together. In grammar and in research, there's what's called the five W's. Who, what, where, when, and why. The five W's are attributed to Aristotle, and they're basic questions that, when resolved, can answer a question or solve a problem. And we can apply that to this verse very easily. Who? You, the reader. What? Bear one another's burdens. Where? Doesn't say might not matter. When? Doesn't say. Might not matter. Why? To fulfill the law of Christ. And with that simple exposition, we get to the answer that we had from before. Okay, got it. Moving on. But I think if we're going to be doers of the word and not hearers only, then we've got to ask another question. How? How do we bear one another's burdens? What goes into bearing one another's burdens? Well, let's dial it back and all get on the same page. What is a burden? Burden is defined as a load, typically a heavy one. What may be a burden for you may not be a burden for me, but that doesn't diminish it, nor does it exclude it from the call to bear it. It's something that presses down on us, something that distracts us, something that disables us from walking at full capacity. 
You know, sometimes my kids just start crying for no reason at all. We'll be having a blast and then tears. And I say the same thing. Hey, what's the problem? And then they'll tell me something that they've never shared before until that moment. It's news to me. And I say the same thing all the time. I can't help you with what you don't tell me. I can't fix what you don't share. And that's true of bearing one another's burdens. I can't fulfill my invitation and the call of God here if you don't tell me what's going on. You see, not only is this a call to help others, it's a call to vulnerability. A call to proximity. A call to my mess. And this is one of the reasons we don't truly bear one another's burdens because we don't know what they are. Now, not everything needs to be on the prayer bulletin or posted in an email, but I think the real reason that we don't know what's really going on is because we're not honest with each other about what our burdens are. We say things like, I'm fine. Oh, I'm just trusting the Lord. It's not that big a deal. And that all might be true, but it might not be honest. We're not transparent enough with our lives because if everyone knew what I was dealing with, then they wouldn't understand. Well, of course we don't understand. You need to tell us. That argument's no better than my children. You think, well, if everyone knew what I was dealing with, then they would judge me. Well, if they do, then they're not paying attention to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And while people may have more questions about your burden, I don't think a true follower of Jesus would sit there and condemn you. So let's cancel that one out. So then it leads to this. Excuse after excuse, reason after reason of why we can't share and be transparent with our burdens. And what it boils down to is this. If people knew what my burden was, I'm afraid they'd reject me. Have you ever felt like that? Where if people knew you, the real you, that you would be rejected, that you'd be cut off, that you would be so isolated and so you try to convince yourself that it's just better to stay quiet and miserable to avoid anyone getting to help you, getting to know you. You know that that's in the Bible, right? Genesis 3, God is calling out to Adam and Eve right after they've hidden themselves. And he says, where are you? That's a call to proximity. That's a call to vulnerability. And Adam says, I heard the sound of you and I was afraid, so I hid. I often wonder what the state of the world would be if Adam ran to God instead of him hiding from him. And how often do we do that? We hear the sound of God calling us to proximity, to closeness, but we're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid of what he'll say, what others will say, and so we hide. The Christian journey is not one of isolation with God or with each other. We need to be open and vulnerable with each other so that we don't bear our burdens alone. We literally weren't designed for that. God says in Genesis 2 that it's not good for man to be 
alone. And if he meant it then, he means it now. And if he meant it physically, I think it applies emotionally. To, a, to, to bear one another's burdens is to be vulnerable. Now with that, some of you may think, okay, well, I'll just start sharing everything that's going on and I'll start asking everyone else what's really going on. That's not what this means. Because vulnerability has another piece to it, and that's relationship. I've been going to my therapist now for eight years. He's an amazing guy who's been with me through a lot, and we've got a great dynamic now where I can walk right into the room and just dive into whatever I'm going through. Sometimes I'll walk in and I'm angry, and we'll just start there. Sometimes I walk in and I'm confused or I'm frustrated or I'm sad, and we'll just start right there. But that's not how it started. When I first walked into that room and I sat on the couch, it took weeks, months even, to get to the point where I would open up and share deep things about my past, share about my feelings, my wounds, about my burdens. And through the months and the years, we've developed a relationship, and that relationship is built on respect, it's built on trust, and knowing that he has what's best for me in mind. And that doesn't just happen. That's work. And church, if we're going to bear one another's burdens truly and authentically, it needs to be built on trust because we have relationships. I'll be honest, I don't go to everyone with the things that I go through. Just because we share the same faith doesn't mean we're on the same page. Just because we know the same verses doesn't mean you have my best in mind. To truly bear one another's burdens, we need a relationship that starts with Christ and then continues from there. One with time invested, one with prayers prayed, tears shed, seeking God together. This is why when some people say, I'm praying for you, you sort of know they're just saying that. While others who say that mean that their knees will be sore for you, that's relationship. That's why things like small group are so powerful because, yes, we are all the church, but I can't know everyone on the level truly required to bear your burden. It happens with time and trust and transparency. J.R.R. Tolkien has a familiar quote from the Fellowship of the Ring that says, All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Frost kills tender plants and life that isn't prepared for it, but when the roots are deep, a frost won't shake that plant. And in the same way, when our roots are deep with each other, invested and vulnerable, not only can we bear the burdens together, the burdens won't be as heavy. But let's be honest. This isn't convenient. I'll speak personally. I've got a wife, two kids, my career, and a house that demands a lot from my time. Why would I want to get messy with your burden? I've got enough on my plate. What about that verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 that says everyone should aim to live a quiet life? Bearing one another's burdens is a nuisance. Well, yes, it is. You don't think Jesus thought it to be 
inconvenient to shed his glory, be born in an animal trough, live as God and man, and be blamed for all your sins and then die? Nobody said it was convenient. But why are we called to this? Well, the second part of the verse. And so, fulfill the law of Christ. This is such an interesting phrase, and it seems contradictory to almost everything Jesus said about the law, since he came to fulfill it and not abolish it in Matthew 5. And this is the only time that Paul mentions this phrase, and he doesn't explain what it means. So what, we're supposed to live in transparency, suffering inconvenience to fulfill something that's ill-defined? Well, I think it is defined, and to grasp it, we need to understand Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. Starting at verse 28, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And I don't think this inquiry was a trap. I think this was a genuine question because of the genuine answer. Verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If there is a law of Christ, it's not the rabbinical law of the Old Testament. It's not the Ten Commandments, and it's not a list of do's and don'ts somewhere within the Scripture. It's a call to love. To love God and to love others as yourself. And how do we do that? How do we love others as ourselves? We bear one another's burdens. It's as simple as that. Do you know what speaks volumes to those outside of the Christian faith? It's when we're able to forgive wrongs that are committed against us. It's when we're able to continue to love those that are difficult to love, knowing that we're difficult to love too. It's when we come alongside those in pain when no one else will. It's when we love recklessly. The true test of our faith and our commitment to Christ is dependent upon our willingness to actually enter people's pain. To enter into the brokenness, to weep with those who weep, to share a cup of coffee and say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm here. To live like Jesus is to enter into the burdens of our family and our friends and to bear them. That's 1 Peter 2.24. He bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He bore our burdens so that we might bear one another's. Yes, that verse is about salvation and sanctification, but there's a refining process that involves laying down our control and bearing one another's burdens. You see, he didn't judge so that we wouldn't judge. He loved so that we might love. And honestly, it's an incredible inconvenience. It's an inconvenience to our independence. It's an inconvenience to our control. But like the vacuum cleaner, 
maybe it's the only way to the thing we need most. Maybe the bigger picture is not whether you're in control, but whether or not you can love. Jen Stevens in her book, The Heart's Journey Home, says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what Christianity is all about. God never intended us to walk this world alone, and Christ did not die for us to keep his love all to ourselves. And I've talked with some people who have said, yes, of course, we bear one another's burdens so that we can lead them to Christ. But this isn't about evangelism. This has nothing to do with convincing someone that Jesus is the only way to God. That might come out of it in the long run, but I think that's why just walking up on the street and handing out a tract doesn't work because there's no relationship, there's no trust, there's no vulnerability, there's no love. It's like a sales call, and that's not what this verse is talking about. This is about loving someone in their pain. This is about stepping into it with families whose children have walked away from God, not just praying for them, but sitting with them. This is about connecting with the LGBTQ community. This is about listening to a single mom and maybe buying her dinner. This is about brokenness. About stepping in to humanity the way Christ did, with no expectation of something in return. Note the verse doesn't say, do this after they do it for you first. This is a call to love God, to love others as yourself. Well, how do you love? You love with vulnerability, with relationships, and with trust. Everything we've said about bearing one another's burdens is about displaying the purest form of love. If you're a parent, you can understand this a bit more, but when I held my children for the first time, there were tears streaming down my face because there was absolutely nothing they could do for me. Nothing they could say to me, and yet I loved them with a love more fierce than I had ever experienced before. And I wasn't going to wait until they could listen and obey. I wasn't going to withhold my love until they could understand what salvation was. I loved them from the second I saw them. And I was going to bear any burden that they would ever experience from a paper cut to a broken heart because I love them. There's no agenda. And church, there's no agenda with bearing one another's burdens. It is to fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah, but that's love. And true love has no agenda. In Jesus, we see the ultimate version of love with no agenda on display for us to imitate and to emulate. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Christ lives in us, then we must give ourselves away. We must be servants and we must carry one another's burdens. Out of his love, now we can love. We have to be inconvenienced. We're called to live a life that is not isolated, a life that is open and honest, a life that is consistently inconvenienced, a life that is constantly sacrificing our need for control for the greater call of loving God and loving others. 
And that should be our great desire as followers of Jesus, to love who he loves, to bear the burdens he bears, to suffer inconvenience as we draw closer to our Heavenly Father. So what's our first step? Where do we start applying this? Where don't we start applying this? I can't look to a corner of the state of New Jersey, a corner of my influence, or a corner of our church and not find an area of brokenness, an area of hurt, an area of hiding, or an area of disappointment that is currently restricting our call to proximity and closeness, not only with God, but also with each other. And I'm not here to call anyone out or to force on you what can only be done by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But I can call out myself. I can change myself. I can open up to those around me so that I don't bear burdens alone. I can be intentional with you. I can begin forming relationships that foster trust centered on Christ and displaying an agenda-free love. I can change me. Because if I hear a message like this and I do nothing, it is literally of no use speaking if I'm unwilling to listen and be changed, to allow the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do for myself. The New York Times once set out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what's wrong with the world today? Having gotten back many replies of deep thought and many words, G.K. Chesterton simply replied, Dear Sir, I am. It starts individually. It starts with me. And if we think that love that looks like Jesus and bearing one another's burdens is something that the church will just magically do one day, and it does not require self-sacrifice on our part, it does not require a death to control or embracing the inconvenience, then it will be as if the vacuum is on but not moving. Sure, it'll make noise, but it won't make progress. It's expecting something to happen without putting in the work. And when the vacuum's moving, it's a beautiful thing. It's a little inconvenient and loud, but accomplishing a greater purpose. And when we take that call to bear each other's burdens personally, not only will it aid the whole body, it will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we hear your voice. The invitation to be like your son is a warm call that often comes with a figurative cross, a death to ourselves. May we surrender our control, our convenience, and our lives to love and to live as you did, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you continue this work in our lives? Reveal to us where we need to change, for it is of no use to be under the sound of Scripture without applying it to our lives. Open our eyes to new ways to bear each other's burdens as we fulfill the law of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by that message. You can connect with us at trbc.us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.